The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Continue this morning in the book of Exodus. But before we do, there are a couple of things that are really important. Just want to mention, and one is the drop. The drop is something that we do. You might have heard us talk about, especially if you're new, on the first Sunday of every month. And and back kind of before the world hit pause in 2020, every Sunday we'd have hundreds of pounds of non-perishable food items to take to ministry partners who get those to vulnerable families and individuals in our community. And we are really excited to get back to that. So the next three Sundays, you're just gonna hear us remember the drop. You can put it in your phone, bring a bag of non-perishable food items and you put it back behind your car when you park and some lovely people will come and pick that up and we'll deliver it. And it is a great chance to serve the vulnerable in our community. It's one of the things that we love to do as we seek to share the gospel and life with people in our city. So remember the drop. And second, just as Mark mentioned, we are coming up on the season of Lent tomorrow night. Amy and our women's ministry team have got a great Lent worship night for ladies. But we've also got some resources, some books, some music, some prayer guides, and if you want to take time, uh, not as some sort of legalistic thing, but something that you can do freely, to fast from something, or to pause each day and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, to remember how he's rescued us from our sins. As we look forward to Easter together, you can hit the QR code, or if you go to the hub on our website, or just tbchub.org. Uh, There is a Lent resource guide there, and we hope that it will be a blessing to you that will culminate with a sunrise to sundown fast on Good Friday that we want to invite all of you to participate in. Well, we're going to jump into Exodus 3. Last week, Tim ended with four verbs, how God heard, remembered, saw, and knew Israel. Well, good speakers do not repeat themselves. Let me just say that again for you. Good speakers do not repeat themselves. Unless they really, really want you to know something. And God, in the middle of our chapter this week, is going to repeat himself. So Moses and and all Israel who would come after him and And the people of God who are alive at this time, he's going to say it not once but twice that God is going to deliver his people. And in Exodus 3, God's going to show himself to Moses on a mountain. He says, I'm going to use you to deliver people from slavery in Egypt. And I'll lead you into a good land. It's not dissimilar to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And what I'd like us to do right now is just read the first six verses, and we'll kind of take this section by section. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. 
Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, it is a kindness of mercy and grace that you might reveal yourself to anyone. To Moses 3,500 years ago or to us today and everyone in between. And so God, we pray that you would take your word and that your Holy Spirit would use it to cut to the deepest parts of who we are to transform us, to help us even in this Old Testament book to see the Christ that it points us to, to marvel at you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Exodus 3 invites us to marvel at God and to trust him with our lives. And we're gonna see that in three ways. First, we're gonna see that God reveals himself in the most unlikely of places. And second, we're gonna see that the presence and the power and the promises of God are the hope of his people then and now. And then we're gonna see that God saves in such a way that he gets the honor and his people get the help. Let's start with God revealing himself in the most unlikely of places. Moses is keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Now, if you were paying attention last week, you know in Exodus chapter two, his father-in-law is called Ruel, not Jethro. And here he's called Jethro. He's the priest of Midian. Now you read that and you think, well, Midian with a priest named Jethro must be in West Virginia. But it's not. It's in northwest Saudi Arabia. And Jethro means his excellency. It is probably his title as the priest of Midian. His name is probably Ruel. And it says that Moses is at Horeb, the mountain of God. Now we hear Horeb and we hear the mountain of God. Really big deal. The the Hebrew noun Horeb is rooted in the Hebrew word Horeb to lay waste. Horeb means wasteland. And that's where Moses is. It's the most unlikely of places. And we should recognize that Moses has lost everything. Moses went from the Nile River to the palace in Egypt, and now he has gone from the palace to the desert. And growing up as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's house, though with his Hebrew mother, he would have despised shepherds as Egyptians did. And now he's a shepherd. And he doesn't even have his own sheep. He's got sand for his bed and stone for a pillow. He's gone from the capital to nowhere, from the king's palace, the king's food, luxuries, to a subsistence existence in the wilderness. And it really seems like Moses is destined for a wilderness existence that just can't be turned around. You you might feel like that. You might have been on track with the right job, the right career path, the right spouse. Kids are doing great. Health is doing great. And then in some way, it just all falls apart. 
I mean, it seems like you'll never get it back. It seems like you're in a wilderness and you don't know how to get out of it. But God reveals himself in the most unlikely of places. Verse two says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Well, the angel of the Lord, who or what is the angel of the Lord? Theologians argue about this extensively and we don't have time to dive into all of who it could be, but I think the context here in this passage would tell us that this is God speaking. In verse two, it's the angel of the Lord, but if you look at verse four, when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And then he said in verse six, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is God speaking to Moses, and he's speaking to him out of a burning bush, and the bush is not consumed. Now, you might hear that, and go, do you guys really actually believe that there was a bush on fire and it wasn't consumed? And I just want to tell you, it's crazier than that. We believe a guy rose from the dead. But here's the the truth, that throughout history and even in this room, some, some really reasonable people have believed this. We've got people who work in the space industry in this room. We've got attorneys, physicians, teachers, nurses, accountants. And what happened in this moment, because God is God, is not a natural phenomenon, it's a supernatural event, and God is showing himself, perhaps through this fire and wood that is not consumed, justice and mercy. A really great insight to this that someone gave me this week, we as a a staff each week study the text that either Dave or Tim or I are, are gonna preach, and as we were studying this week, Ryan Morris said we were talking in junior high a couple of weeks ago about Acts chapter 2, and he said, I think Exodus 3 is, is really pointing forward. As we look back, it's pointing forward to Pentecost when these tongues of fire come down and the people are not consumed. They're in God's presence and they're not consumed. And maybe we get a hint of that here when this bush is on fire and it's not consumed. And what we see very quickly is that God knows Moses. When the Lord saw him, he calls him by name, and Moses says, here I am. And this is a, a really beautiful thing, because Moses, we're going to see a little bit later, doesn't know who God is, but God knows him. Now, as we read on this journey through Exodus, Moses will get to know God. In fact, he'll get to know him so well. In Exodus 33, 11, Israel is in the wilderness and they have a tent of meeting and Moses would go into that tent of meeting. Everyone else would stand outside of his own tent. And it says Moses would go into the tent and God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But right now, Moses doesn't know God, but God knows him. And you might have come into this room and you might have been here a lot and you've just kind of been very religious, but you might go, I I really probably don't feel like I actually know God. Or it might be your first time ever to come into a church. And you might go, yeah, I I don't think I know God. But the good news is God knows you. The scripture says the hair on your head is numbered. 
And this God who knows you, loves you, knows the best and worst about you and sent his son to die in your place and in my place so that we might have life. And so he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here am I. And God says, don't come near. Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. This is the first time in the Bible the word holy is used. And it's a consecrated moment. Like in Joshua chapter 5, when the captain of the Lord's armies comes to Joshua and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And he says, I'm the captain of heaven's armies. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. It's a moment where you are in God's presence and you are gonna surrender and submit to him because he's holy. Well, his holiness is distinct from creation. He is self-existent. He is sovereign. He has always been. He is. He always will be. He's majestic. He doesn't need anything. He's the cause of everything. And he is unimpeachably pure. He cannot, does not, and will not be in the presence of sin. And so it's a really big deal. And I think there's something that maybe the hearers of Exodus and the readers of Exodus would have heard that we might not naturally hear that in the ancient Middle East and in particular in Israel, there was a right of dispossession, a giving up of your rights when you took your sandals off. There's kind of a hint of it in the book of Ruth. If you know the book of Ruth, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He's a man from Bethlehem who's going to redeem a Gentile bride. And Boaz wants to redeem Ruth, but there's another redeemer who's in front of him who has rights to Ruth to care for her, to take her as his own, to welcome her into his family. And Boaz goes to him at the city gate in front of the elders like he should do, and he says, are you going to redeem this woman? And the guy says, no, I'm not going to redeem her. And Boaz, it's Ruth 4, verse 7, he says, well, you need to take your sandals off and show everyone. And what he's showing is he's giving up his rights. And here's the truth for Moses and the truth for all of us. When we come into the presence of holy God, we lay our rights down. We surrender. Moses gets this. It's a holy moment. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God is going to tell Moses who he is, and it incites fear. Don't miss that, because we often will talk about the presence of God and say, we just want to bask in his glory. But the seraphim in Isaiah 6, they cover their face, and Moses is basking in fear. Well, how do we get from there to a New Testament passage like Hebrews 4.16 that says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. How do you get from Moses hid his face because he was afraid to draw near with confidence well, I think the verse before this gives us a hint. Hebrews 4, 15 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who is in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin because we have a priest and a mediator, Jesus Christ, who's not just the priest, he's the sacrifice for our sins and he died to take our sins away. That's how big a deal it is to try to stand before God that he sent his son to take the punishment for our sins He was tempted as we are, but he was without sin. He was a perfect sacrifice and his blood was poured out for you and for me to conquer sin and death on our behalf. It's this heavy moment for Moses and God is revealing himself to him in the most unlikely of places and these words and those that follow are gonna show us that God is good and God is merciful and the heart of the scripture is that we might know and marvel at God. See, God reveals himself in the most unlikely of places and God's presence and power and promises are the hope of his people. Let's read on in verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard Their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. He's going to bring them out of slavery and into a promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites. I'm glad y'all are listening. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen, he says it again, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. See, God says, I'm the God of your fathers and then he begins to tell Moses what he's going to do. We would be remiss if, if we didn't understand, God's the rescuer in the story, not Moses. God will use Moses, but God is the hero. And he says, I've surely seen. I've seen. You might, you might be struggling. You might be hurting. You might be in physical pain. You might be in emotional or mental or spiritual pain. And it might seem like God doesn't see. He sees and he says, I've heard. I've heard your cry. He's not an unjust judge. He's a good father who knows how to give good gifts and nothing, not the suffering of Israel and not the suffering of you or me, escapes his notice. I've seen. 
I've heard. I know your suffering. The scripture says he captures our tears in a bottle. It might seem like it did to Israel, like it did to Moses, like he doesn't know, but he knows. And he cares deeply. He sent his son once as a sacrifice for sin and he will send him back to set all things right. He sees, he hears, he knows. And then he says, I have come down. And throughout the scripture, we see God coming down, God coming down to man in the garden. God coming down to judge the earth and rescue Noah. God coming down because he has seen, heard, and knows the suffering of his people Israel. And ultimately, God coming down as he sent his son Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. I have come down and I will bring them up. He is going to rescue his people. He's going to deliver them from slavery and to the promised land. Just like he delivers us from slavery to sin, and he will deliver us to the promised land. Sometimes we forget what the promised land is for us. A, a long time ago, a Puritan came over and saw America, and he wrote in a letter that eventually made its way to a book, it's like a land flowing with milk and honey. And some people make the mistake of thinking that this is the promised land, but it's not. See, we're in exile. We're in the wilderness. But one day Jesus will return and this will be burnt up in a renewal. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and that is where we're headed. And so with Moses, we've got to see that God reveals himself and today his presence, his power, and his promises are the hope of his people. He says it again. Behold, the cry of my people Israel has come to me. I've, I've heard it and I've also seen the oppression. And then he says, I will send. I'm going to send you. God uses people to accomplish his purposes. And he, he shows up at the most unlikely of places and he uses the most unlikely of people so that he gets the glory and we get the grace. He's the deliverer. I'm gonna send you. And Moses has questions. God, do you know who I am? And God's like, well, I just called your name twice, right? I'm going to send you to rescue my people. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should do this? I think it is a question of identity, but more it's a question of vocation. Am I up for this? Am I good enough for this? And God could have said all kinds of things. He could have said, Moses, don't you know you're a person of destiny? You're in the Nile River in a basket. You're rescued, taken into Pharaoh's house and raised up with all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Don't, don't you know that, Moses? But that's not what God says. Who am I that I should do this? God says, I will be with you. Moses, you think this is dependent on you? I will be with you. And then for, for me, my, my favorite part of this passage is this. He says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I've sent you 
when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now that, that fascinates me. I will be with you and here's your sign. Well, what's the sign going to be? I mean, doesn't it make so much sense that God would have gone, you're gonna, here's the sign, you're gonna take your staff and lay it down and it's gonna become a, a snake and magicians from Egypt will try to emulate that, but your snake will eat theirs up. Hey, here's the sign, Moses, you're gonna take your hand and put it inside your garment and it's gonna become withered, white as snow and you're gonna take it back out and it's gonna be normal. Moses, you want a sign, I'm gonna bring plagues on Egypt like the world has never seen to show that their gods are no gods at all. I'm the one true and living God. Moses, you're not gonna believe this, but I am going to open up the sea and you're gonna walk through it. That's the sign, But that's not what God says. God says the sign is this. When you have led my people out of Egypt, you're gonna worship me. This place that you think is a wasteland, this is right the very place where I will meet you again. And I think God is saying something to Moses there that's just really beautiful for us as well today. And it's this. Hey, Moses, I'm not gonna let you go. Moses, I'm gonna keep this promise. It won't be dependent on you. I'm going to accomplish my purpose and I'm going to do it through you and I'm God and you can trust me. That's the sign. You're going to be back here one day and you're going to remember all that I've done and you'll see it. And maybe some of you know the sweetness of that, that you've walked through fire you could have never imagined you'd walk through and you didn't walk through it perfectly. Had lots of days of doubt, lots of questions. Maybe you got angry when you should have been trusting Maybe there were tears of frustration when there should have been smiles of gratefulness. But God saw you through it. He didn't let you go. As Jesus said, that all that are mine are the Father's and he's stronger than all and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Here's a sign, Moses. I'm not going to let you go. You will worship me. So Moses hearing this great stuff and he goes, okay, well, who, who are you? You'll be with me, but who are you? What's your name? What's your name? And God answers him. What shall I say to the people? What shall I say? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. His very name is existence. It's the very nature of God to exist. He always has in complete perfection in eternity past. He does so now and he always will for eternity future. As God, the cause of all things, the one who is enthroned above heaven and over the earth and over everything under the earth, the one true and living God. Moses, he says, you tell him I am has sent me to you. And he says, say to this people, Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered through all generations. Now we should talk about this verse, because this is a verse that some religious sects will use 
to say, oh, you, you can't really use the name Jesus. Jesus is not actually God. They reject the Trinity. But we should understand that through the lens of the resurrection, we can see that Jesus is actually God. If, if you read the book of John and you read the book of Exodus, here's what you're going to find out. John loves the book of Exodus. And you can see it in his gospel. And we can look back and see that God was using this author to point forward to what Jesus was going to do. In fact, in John, there are seven I am statements. And then there's something even greater in the middle of all of them. I'll just remind us of them. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's the bread that comes down for the life of the world. In John 10, he says, I'm the door that the sheep can enter. In John 10, he also says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live again. And then in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He's saying that he's God. And now there are supposed scholars of the Bible that would say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I do think they're really smart people, but I think it's a misnomer to call them scholars of the Bible because they're not reading it well. See, the Jews in the first century, the very people he was speaking to thought Jesus was claiming to be God. That's why they tried to kill him. One of the best instances that we can see of this is in John chapter 8 when he has said, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, about 831, he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the Jewish leaders were bothered by this. They set you free. We're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anyone. And Jesus, I really wish he would have said, hey, have you guys read Exodus? <laughs> you remember that story? They had, in fact, been enslaved and exiled many, many times in their history. They say, we're Abraham's children. And Jesus, in his soft and gentle way, says, actually, your father is the devil. And they're angry. And in John eight fifty six, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. And the Pharisees said, Abraham saw your day and was glad. You, you're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? They're mocking him. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they are so angry that they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Well, this is not just some good old boys from Southeast Texas that got so mad they wanted to throw rocks. 
See, they believe he's blasphemed because they don't believe he's God, and blasphemy was punishable by death by stoning. Jesus is saying, I am the I am. I'm him. And that's what Exodus is pointing forward to, that he is the one true God. See, God revealed himself to those Pharisees in the most unlikely of places. And what Jesus was telling them is that God's presence and power and promises through him are the hope of all people. And what we'll see in Exodus and what we'll remember today is that God saves in such a way that he gets the honor and his people get the help. Let's continue reading in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt and the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you, the elders of Israel, shall go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. He says, gather the elders, Moses, it's time. I am sending you. And then communicate the message. Tell them I'm gonna bring you out, I promise. Now, God has said these very same things to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and Israel has seen his faithfulness to them through many dangers, toils, and snares. God says a very similar thing to Jacob in Genesis 46. He's said it to Moses a couple of times, and now he says, I promise, I promise. And before Moses can say, well, who am I or who are you? Again, God says, and by the way, they're going to listen to you. They're going to listen to you. Gather the elders. They will listen. But the king of Egypt will not. Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So he says, I'm going to strike Egypt with wonders that I will do in it, and after that, he will let you go. He will let you go. See, Pharaoh thinks that he is sovereign. He believes that he's the most powerful individual in the world, and he's not, and his gods are not. All the gods of the nations are idols. And so he says... Pharaoh won't let you go. But here's what's going to happen. You'll have favor with the Egyptians when you go. You're not going to go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. They're going to give you their jewels and you're going to leave. 
Israel has worked under a yoke of slavery. And when they go out, they're not going to get a wage. They're going to get more. God's going to provide for them in amazing ways. And here's what's crazy. As we read the book of Exodus, what we're going to find out is this very gold and silver that God provides for them, they're going to turn it into an idol and worship the idol. I am so glad that we are not fickle like them and we don't turn God's goods, gifts into idols, aren't you? See, Pharaoh's going to get so angry. And God's going to say to Moses to tell Pharaoh this, you think you're sovereign, but you're not. I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this very purpose that my glory may be declared in all the earth. And when Israel leaves at will, the nations will stand in awe of the God of Israel so that Egypt and Israel and everyone else around will know that he is God. See, we said at the beginning of this time in Exodus 3 that God's gonna show himself to Moses on a mountain in a way that's not dissimilar to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. God shows up in the most unlikely of places. He doesn't show up in Jerusalem at the temple. That's not where Jesus, when he raises from the dead, tells his disciples to go. The veil of the temple has been torn. And he's going to send his Holy Spirit so that holy ground is not by a burning bush, but it's anywhere a believer is standing. The Spirit of God lives inside us, so we are always standing on holy ground. So how we live and interact with God and others matters every day. And Jesus meets his disciples in the most unlikely of places at a mountain in Galilee. And he says, go and make disciples of the nations. He sends them on a rescue mission, not from slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin. You're gonna make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God's power and presence and promises are going to be the hope of his people and he is going to save in such a way that he gets the honor and they get the help. See, Exodus 3 invites us to marvel at God. And trust Him with our lives. And just like He said to Moses, He says to you and me, I'm sending you on a rescue mission. And so we, as Temple Bible Church, go and glorify Him by making disciples. Perhaps this week we might stand on holy ground and tell someone who our deliverer is. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you, our strong and loving Savior. The Father made you who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that in you we might become the righteousness of God. And not just that, that we might be your ambassadors with a ministry of 
reconciliation, God, that you're reconciling the world to yourself. In a world divided and broken, God, a ministry of reconciliation seems to stand in stark contrast to culture. So God, would you, would you move in us by your spirit Make us to marvel at you and trust you with our lives in such a way that the love of Jesus Christ would compel us to declare your glory, the beauty of our deliverer and our king to the world around us and all nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.